Welcome to the Innovation Engine Podcast. I'm Will Sherlin, and on this week's episode, we'll be looking at innovation and business transformation. Some of the processes you can put in place to ensure innovation flourishes within your company. Why innovation requires long-term commitment rather than a get-rich-quick mindset. And the Malcolm Baldridge framework and how it can be applied to drive innovation. Here with us today to discuss all that and more is Dr. Sunil Mitas, professor at the Robert H. Smith School of Business at the University of Maryland and author of the just published book, Dancing Elephants and Leaping Jaguars, which examines the success of the global behemoth, the Tata Group, and the role innovation has played in its success. Dr. Mitas was recognized as a 2011 Young Scholar by the Marketing Science Institute. And besides his research and teaching at the University of Maryland, Dr. Mitas has worked on research and consulting assignments with organizations including A.T. Kearney, Johnson & Johnson, and the Tata Group. Dr. Mitas also wrote, Digital Intelligence, What Every Smart Manager Must Have for Success in an Information Age, a book in which he talks about why, quote-unquote, digital IQ is a must-have attribute in today's business leaders. Dr. Mitas is a frequent speaker at industry events for senior corporate leaders, and his work has been featured in prominent publications like Bloomberg, Computer World, CIO, Information Week, and MIT Sloan Management Review. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Mitas. Thank you very much, Bill. Absolutely. So thanks for joining us. Let me start off this episode by asking you to give a little bit of background on the Tata Group. They're the subject of your forthcoming book, and uh, I think they probably may be unfamiliar to much of our audience here in the U.S. So what are some of the household name brands that operate under the Tata umbrella? Yeah, Tata is a very interesting company, Will. Uh, This is actually uh, about a 150-year-old company, and some of the household names with which American audience might be familiar with would be companies like Jaguar, Land Rover, and these two uh, brands actually belong to what is known as Tata Motors. But Tatas are also active in uh, in the beverages space, for example. So they have a company called Tata Global Beverages. Mm-hmm. And many of the American people will be familiar with uh, names like Tatley. Tatley is owned by Tata Global Beverages. Likewise, sure. they also acquired a company called 8 O'Clock Coffee, which is uh, based out of Maryland. Uh, in addition to uh, these companies, which are uh, household names uh, in the U.S. and also in U.K. and many other countries around the world, uh, Tata is a very big name in India. As I said earlier, uh, this is a 150-year-old company. It was actually established about 10 years before uh, GE was established in the United States. And uh, this is actually, uh, this produces salt, it produces software, and many of the people who go to India, you will find it almost everywhere. They are in the steel business, they are in the power business, in the chemicals business, in the hotels business, you name it, and Tata operates in that business. Okay, great. So so you mentioned GE. Tata is actually sometimes referred to as the GE of India, and they're, they're a huge company responsible for 8% of the total market cap of the Bombay Stock Exchange. So clearly they're doing a lot of things right, but it's been a rather rapid ascent for the company, hasn't it? That is exactly right, Will. Uh, this company, in a, within a span of last uh, 25 years or so, it used to be a company worth only around $5 billion in revenues in 1990, and now it is about $103 billion. So within 25 years or so, it has achieved 20 times of its revenues. Just uh, 10, uh, 12 years back, in 2002, it had revenues of about $10 billion, mm-hmm. and uh, it had achieved 10 times uh, uh, its revenues by 2012 or 2013. So this is really a remarkable growth. And when I look at the companies of this size who are $100 billion in revenues, very few companies have been able to match this kind of a performance within a span of last 25 years or so. 
Okay, got it. So, so one of the things that we'll talk about today, obviously, is is how innovation has played a role in this corporate growth. One of the things that you talk about in the book, which you were kind enough to share with me, I got an advanced copy to read, is the Malcolm Baldridge framework. And forgive me if I mispronounce that name, but that's something the Tata Group has used to level set this period of two decades that you've tracked in your research paper. Can you go a little bit into the Malcolm Baldridge framework? Yeah, Malcolm Baldridge, I think uh, this is a very interesting criteria, Will, and I think there's a history to this. Uh, This was established in 1988 when President Reagan was in office, and this is actually a very good example of what is known as a public private partnership. So in the 1980s, most of the Americans were quite worried about, you know, quality of our goods and services. Japanese companies were coming to the U.S. and we were afraid of the competition that we were facing at that time. Mm-hmm. So uh, in 1988, uh, National Institute of Standards and Technologies, which is in Gaithersburg here, uh, they actually took a, a lead in this area and they created a, a framework. And that came to be known as Malcolm Baldry's Framework for Performance Excellence. And many people hoped at that time that this would become the Nobel Prize uh, when it comes to, let's say, corporate excellence in America. And even now, uh, President of the United States actually gives out an award every year uh, to companies who are doing very well. So although it started from manufacturing sector, but uh, over the years, you know, companies in the services sector, uh, small companies, non-profits, healthcare, education. So the criteria is industry agnostic. Mm-hmm. Uh, more than 100 countries around the world have actually emulated the criteria. Many of the big corporations have used some form of it. So companies like McDonald's, companies like IBM, mm-hmm. Ford, Cargill. Cargill is another big conglomerate, about $135 billion in revenues. They are also using some variant of this criteria uh, to create excellence, to create transformation within that company. Okay, yeah. great. And uh, I guess if companies or, or folks out there are interested in learning more about it, are, are there is there a website they can go to, to to hear about the framework or read about it and some of what it entails? Right, they can go to NIST, uh, the National Institute of Standards and Technologies, nist.gov, okay. and uh, from there they can get more information about the Malcolm Baldry's criteria. Okay, great. So another thing that you write about in the book is having a transformative effect for Tata is the Tata Business Excellence Model. What is the TBEM? Yeah, TBEM is actually a short form, as you said, uh, is Tata Business Excellence Model. And uh, this is actually a variant of Malcolm Baldry's criteria that I talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. So in the 1994, uh, when Ratan Tata became the chairman of the Tata Group, he adopted Malcolm Baldry's criteria, but they named it after uh, 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 JRDQB. So initially they created an award uh, in the memory of uh, JRD Tata who was the chairman of the Tata Group for more than 50 years or so. Mm-hmm. So 1994, they adopted it, but they called it by a different name called Tata Business Excellence Model. And basically, uh, this uh, uh, is a variant of uh, Malcolm Baldry's, where uh, Malcolm Baldry's criteria has seven categories. So, uh, And uh, the criteria, as I said earlier, applies to virtually any organization of any kind. So it focuses on things like leadership, how do you do strategic planning, how do you engage with your customers, how do you engage with your Uh, workforce with your employees? Mm -hmm. How do you uh, uh, ensure excellence in your operations? How do you manage information? How do you manage knowledge in your company? How do you manage your information technology, for example? Mm -hmm. So these are the process dimensions, but the criteria also puts an equal emphasis on results. So how do you achieve business results? And results not purely in terms of financial results, but also what are your product and service performance standards? Uh, how do you do with respect to, let's say, your customer satisfaction? How do you do with, do with respect to your employee engagement? Uh, what are the uh, things you are doing, uh, let's say, for sustainability, uh, looking at, let's say, carbon emissions, things of that nature? So it is a very comprehensive way of looking at business results. And uh, the criteria uh, judges companies based on 
uh, a scale of uh, from a zero to one thousand scale, mm -hmm. and companies are awarded. And it is very hard on this criteria uh, to get, let's say, scores uh, approaching six hundred or seven hundred. Uh, very few companies are able to uh, uh, rise up to that standard. Mm -hmm. And one other thing that I have noticed in my research is that unlike many other frameworks, uh, this criteria does not suffer from what is known as Lake Wobegon effect, where everybody can do well. In fact, if companies are not doing well, their scores can slide down. And we have seen that happening in the US as well as in the data that I have seen for other companies. So it's a great framework and Tata's realized it early on, about 20, 25 years back. And they have been continuing with this framework for the last 20 years, very diligently. Okay, great. And, and we talked in the, in the run-up to this podcast, and you mentioned results in your last answer about the concept of, of disciplined autonomy. So it sounds like they, they reward people who are able to drive results, but they essentially let them come up with solutions on their own. That is absolutely correct. So, uh, so I think that this concept of disciplined autonomy was very, very important in the Tata group. And the reason is as follows. Uh, Tata is a conglomerate, but it is a conglomerate, conglomerate which is very different from other conglomerates around the world in the sense that in the case of many conglomerates, the parent company is a listed company and many of the subsidiaries are unlisted companies, right? Mm -hmm. In the case of Tata group, the parent company, the main promoter company, Tata Sons Limited, is actually unlisted company, while many of its subsidiaries are listed companies. So they have tremendous autonomy. Their boards can decide to do whatever they want. Mm -hmm. So Tata Group wanted to create a framework whereby they would like to create some kind of a discipline across all the companies. Mm -hmm. At the same time, provide a lot of autonomy to each of these uh, independently listed companies to do whatever they want to do because they are uh, most familiar with their unique competitive context. They know who their customers are. Uh, they know how would they would like to compete in that market space. So this idea of disciplined autonomy was that, you know, can we create a framework where we are trying to reconcile two opposing forces? And by bringing these two things together, uh, they are not only achieving great business results, but they are also trying to unleash exactly the same kind of a thing when it comes to innovation. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Somebody at Land Rover may not necessarily know the best way to drive business results in the T world, right. for example. Exactly. Okay, great. So... So one of the things that struck me in the book about a number of the companies under the Tata umbrella is the long-term nature of their innovation journeys. So you talk in the book actually about innovation uh, being a long-term process and use the metaphor of waves to describe innovation within the company. And innovation is the fourth wave in the journey following on the heels of commitment, assimilation, and globalization. So what would you say to companies out there that are looking to boost their innovation potential to score some quick wins? Yeah, this is a very, uh, this is a great question, Will. Uh, and uh, uh, when I think about quick wins, I think of quick weight loss. So I think it is possible to have quick wins or even quick weight loss if it is part of a longer term regimen, if it is part of a, a process where one is focused on the long term, one is looking at the overall, let's say, uh, how your body functions and you know the overall health of the organism. Mm -hmm. So in that context, uh, um, I think uh, uh, I, when I think about this issue, I also am reminded of a Chinese saying, you know, it takes 10 years to sharpen a short. Uh, so many of the great companies that we think about, they have been actually working at innovation for, for a long time. And so the, the key issue here is that in order to achieve quick wins, which are possible, uh, it is very important that uh, leaders of the company they create an enabling environment. Mm -hmm. They they uh, they foster creativity. They are uh, willing to foster uh, an environment in which people are willing to take risks. Uh, 
calculated risks, intelligent risks, mm-hmm. and they are willing to tolerate some amount of failure as they are as people are uh, taking those kinds of risks. How do you create right kind of a teamwork? How do you lead by examples? And at the same time, uh, I w- also wanted to highlight one thing here is that just as managers are focused on achieving their quarterly targets when it comes to financial results, they should also be thinking about innovation very systematically. So the, the question is that uh, are managers spending enough time when they are thinking about their innovation efforts? Do they spend time on a, on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, thinking about what projects we can launch that can create potential revenue streams, that can create uh, our profit streams of tomorrow, sure. not of today's? Okay, great. So, so let me ask you about the about the title of the book, which is "Dancing Elephants and Leaping Jaguars." How did you come to settle on that title? Yeah, I think uh, again, this uh, uh, many people when they think about you know India or Indian companies or let's say even the giant corporations, they think about these in elephants. And here, I wanted to bring out the idea that even elephants can dance, and which is what we have seen in the case of the Tata Group, that you know hundred billion dollar uh, company, and actually uh, has been able to show that. Uh, through its various operating companies, it is able to achieve tremendous success in the last 20, 25 years. So it has within its fold companies that are active in the steel sector, in the power sector, in the chemical sector. At the same time, it also has, let's say, Tata Motors and Jaguar Land Rover. So although these companies are operating in very different spaces, uh, there is a unifying framework. And all these companies actually show their commitment, show their adherence to this common standard. And then within that uh, common standard, they are able to find some unique niches. They are able to find unique business processes, which make sense for their customers and for uh, their employees, and they are able to flourish. Okay, great. So, so let me ask you about an acronym that is uh, that is used in the book. TGIF typically has a negative connotation in the workplace, and I don't think I need to share with everyone what that stands for. But they have a different acronym that they use at Tata. What is TGIF at Tata, and how has it played a role in that company's transformation? Uh, that's a great question. So TGIF stands for Tata Group Innovation Forum. Mm-hmm. You can think of it as a board for corporate innovation strategy at the Tata Group. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what this, uh, there was a realization in the Tata Group, you know, if you're a teenager, you know, everybody thinks that they are innovative. But uh, how does a 130, 140-year-old company uh, feel that, you know, it is innovative and it is doing something in that regard? Mm-hmm. So they created this forum around 2006-2007. And the idea here is basically that how do we create an enabling environment for innovation across all our companies. So they operate about 100 companies. Mm -hmm. So how do we synergize across these 100 companies? How do we ensure at least a minimum uh, enabling environment for innovation across all the companies? How do we create innovation capability across all the companies? How do we create a community of innovation evangelists so that people can come together uh, to create uh, new kinds of products and services? Mm -hmm. So this group uh, meets once in a quarter, and it has actually formalized several initiatives where people try to learn. So they create uh, what they call as innovations, where people go on learning missions to other countries around the world, to different companies. They create workshops, they create publications, but they have also created some tools where companies can figure out. So they have a tool called Innometer, where a company can figure out uh, how to assess its own performance in terms of its innovation climate, what it should be doing. They have something called Innovista. It's a competition where companies basically showcase what innovations they have done and where uh, they have achieved tremendous success, where they might have failed. They also have something called Innoverse, which is a uh, uh, crowdsourcing platform where people, employees from various startup companies can get together. So what TGF is really trying to do is trying to drive a corporate innovation strategy. But at the same time, uh, each of the companies like Jaguar Land Rover or Tata Steel or Tata Motors, for example, they can have their own uh, business unit level innovation strategy. 
So this is actually trying to create synergies across the entire Tata group. Okay, and, and you mentioned, uh, I think, the inometer in the last answer. What are, what are some of the things that that would measure? So inometer will basically measure what is the innovation climate within mm -hmm. the corporation and okay. uh, what is your innovation strategy. Do you provide sufficient space for your employees to express their ideas? To, uh, do you tolerate failure? How do you uh, reward uh, different kinds of innovations in the corporation? So it looks at strategies. It looks at climate within the corporation. So there is a questionnaire. And employees of the company participate in the questionnaire. And then they can assess compared to their peers where they are. And uh, then they can tweak things accordingly. Okay. Yeah. Great. So another one that you mentioned in the, in the, in the previous answer was the, the Tata InnoVista program. So can you talk a little bit about how that has matured since its inception to now? And are there any notable products or services that have come out of that program? Yeah, this is a very interesting program, Will. This was started in 2006, Tata InnoVista program. And when they initially started it, uh, it received only around 100 projects or so across all the Tata companies. This year, in 2014, it received about 2,000 entries. So the key idea here is that, you know, uh, Tata companies are encouraged, Tata employees are encouraged to uh, uh, participate in this competition. So it is held at the regional level first, then at the national level, and finally companies compete at the Tata group level. So mm -hmm. finally there is a presentation which is held at Mumbai. So, um, uh, and uh, as I said earlier, from 100 projects in 2006, now they have come to around 2,000 projects, and it has four categories. So uh, innovation projects that have already been successful, innovation projects that are yet to be commercialized, Innovation projects, uh, and so this is an interesting name, it's called Dare to Try, that we dare to try, but it failed, it didn't work out. And then they started another thing called Design Honor, so something that is very interesting on the design front. So companies and the teams are evaluated on that. Uh, and uh, some of the key products and innovations that have been uh, profiled in these uh, competitions, I can just name uh, two or three of them. One of them is actually something called Tata Swatch. So this is a $20 water purifier. It uh, does not use chlorine or any of the chemicals. It uses uh, natural components, mm -hmm. and they are trying to market it to the bottom of the pyramid customers in India. So uh, that is one thing. Second thing, they have come up with you know these uh, uh, pulses or lentils. Indians, you know, many Indians are vegetarians. They don't eat meat. Mm -hmm. So how do they get protein? So I think so. This company is trying to market pulses which are fortified, so that people can get their essential nutrients by eating the regular food. Uh, there are some specialized steels that they have developed through this process. Uh, there are uh, this advanced terrain controller at Land Rover uh, that has been profiled as part of this competition. So significant achievements have, significant amounts of innovations have been profiled over the years as part of this program. Okay, great. So I, I love the anecdote from the book about the challenges worth solving initiative and the success story there that was tied to Titan, which I, I believe, if my memory is correct, was a... Is, a steel company? It's a it's a watches company, watches and jewelry. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, my memory is not as good as I thought it was. But can can you share the results of that in the context of collaboration throughout the company and the importance of being open to outside ideas? Yeah, I think this open innovation is a great idea these days, and you know, Tata's have been practicing it for a while now. So they have created something called Tata Innovers, mm -hmm. and Tata Innovers is a is a social networking uh, networking platform where I think uh, currently more than a dozen companies are participating in that. It has. 40,000 registered users. And the key idea is that, you know, how can one company leverage the ideas of other companies? So the example that you gave of the Titan, Titan is a watches and jewelry company. Indians are very fond of, you know, gold gold jewelry and things like that. Mm -hmm. So they were actually struggling with this issue that they, they were creating these gold coins and go, it was taking 16 hours to dry them. 
And so they were looking for a solution and they, they actually put it out on this platform and they said, hey, anybody, does anybody have any ideas? So challenges worth solving, uh, what, the, 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 what this program does is the CEOs of the companies are encouraged to come up with what they call as wicked problems, the really thorny problems. And they throw it out and they say, you have 72 hours, anybody you know, uh, from other Tata companies or even my own company, does anybody have bright ideas? So one of the employees of some other company, uh, Tata Housing, had, uh, he had worked in the pharmaceutical sector and he actually suggested an idea of drying and uh, this uh, drying time reduced from 16 hours to just one hour. But there are many other companies who are also leveraging the same platform and actually what they have found is that 40% uh, of the ideas are coming from outside the company. So one of the things that they are trying to promote is that you know, in for innovation to succeed, innovation can happen anywhere. Mm -hmm. So if you have a good idea, if you share your problems, then maybe there other people might have ideas. And that is the idea for creating the Tata Innovers platform so that everybody can leverage that. Yeah, so avoid the what we call the NIH syndrome or not invented here syndrome. That's exactly right. Okay, so in, in the book you mentioned that some of the executives in the company found the Japanese approach of problem solving to be particularly valuable compared to frameworks like the Baldridge framework. Why was that found to be particular, particularly helpful by some? Okay, I think the, let me go back to my analogy of this weight loss. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think uh, uh, Baldry's framework is very, uh, it is non-prescriptive. It, it is, let's say, more for your general well-being. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, the Japanese uh, method is not only, uh, it tells you what to do, but it also tells you how to do things. And so, uh, so particularly, let's say, if you are dealing with a company which has uh, lots of workers, so for example, think about a steel company like Tata Steel, for example. So they found, some of them found Japanese approach quite valuable because it talks about specific shop floor practices to engage your employees. It has, I think, much more specific uh, recommendations for how to do a statistical process control. Uh, but in my mind, and I think in the minds of many people, uh, these two things are not necessarily substitutes of each other. They are like complements. So you mm -hmm. need Baldry's criteria or, or a framework like Baldry's because that covers uh, all the operations of your business, starting from leadership, strategic planning, customers, workforce, operations, information technology, things like that. And then you need some specific things depending on your unique context. So let's say you, you might need some statistical process controls. So Japanese approach is, I think, more consultant-driven where you know people have... Uh, in-depth industry knowledge of 20, 25 years, what works, what doesn't work, and they come with very specific solutions. Uh, Malcolm Baldry's approach is, I think, more uh, general in nature, and if you can create the right combination, and which is what I think at least one of the companies in the Tata Group have tried to do. So they have not only won what is known as the GRD QB Award, which they won, Tata still won that in 2000, uh, 2000 itself, mm -hmm. but they have also gone on to win something called Japanese uh, uh, Deming Grand Prize, and they are the only steel company in the world outside Japan to win this prize. So, so some people, I think, have found this combination to be particularly valuable, marrying these two things together. And again, Tata Steel is now applying for Malcolm Baldry's uh, base award. Okay, great. So let me ask you about uh, Jaguar Land Rover, probably one of the best-known companies, at least to folks here in the States, that operates under the, the Tata umbrella. They've experienced quite the renaissance since being acquired by Tata. So what do the numbers around their investment in R&D and their revenue growth compared to their competitors suggest? This is a great example, uh, Will, of, uh, let's say, you know, Jaguar Land Rover, it was a, a great company to begin with. But since they have come into the Tata fold uh, in 2008, uh, they have experienced, uh, uh, let's say, they have almost doubled their unit sales, mm -hmm. uh, the number of units of Jaguars and Land Rovers they sell. 
they have tripled their revenues uh, ever since they have joined the Tata Group. They spend about 6 to 7% of their revenues on R&D, and this compares very favorably with uh, their other competitors, like let's say BMWs of the world or Audis of the world. And uh, uh, even this company found a tremendous value and, uh, in, in adopting the startup business excellence model framework. So although this was a very innovative company and they have great uh, uh, processes and you know they create great cars, I can just tell you one example. I, uh, one of my colleagues, he bought Jaguar F-Type and he traded in his Aston Martin because and he's he's very happy with the results that he has been able to get so i think uh, here this is a perfect example of that you know the applicability of the tata business excellence model or more broadly the malcolm baldrige criteria which is administered by our nist here that how powerful uh, this combination can be okay yeah. great so uh, we've mentioned the book in depth here obviously we've built a podcast around it you were kind enough to share an advanced copy of it with me when will it be available to the general public and where can they find it well the book is available on amazon.com uh, that uh, and uh, it is also available on kindle and i think it should be easily available on barnes and noble bn.com so it is publicly available uh, uh, when this uh, podcast will be released okay yeah Okay, great. So I can't let you out of here without talking about the Product Development Success Index, which is a joint research study between the Center of Excellence and Service at the University of Maryland, my company Three Pillar Global, and Rockbridge Associates, a research firm based out of Maryland. Can you share with listeners what the PDSI is? Yeah, PDSI, uh, Product Development Success Index, is an attempt to provide a barometer for uh, assessing the innovation environment of an organization and to track it over time. So I think we will probably tweak some uh, parts of it. It is uh, in, in development phases, but it very much draws on the research that I'm doing with my colleagues at uh, uh, in Paris and also HEC Paris and at uh, University of Mannheim. So we are looking at leading uh, uh, enterprise software development companies, how innovation happens there. So uh, we have done studies in Germany, studies we just collected data in India. And we have also, let's say, informed this research by using uh, data from uh, uh, the Tata Inometer survey that I talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. So the key idea is that can we develop an index uh, through which companies around the world can track how they are performing in terms of their innovation climate? What are the things that they can tweak so that they can become more innovative, so that they can come up with uh, IT-enabled production services faster to the market? so that they meet customer needs, so that they can quickly grow their revenues. So depending on the objectives of the companies, what are the levers that they can pull uh, to become more innovative? So that is the idea here. And what were, what were some of the biggest takeaways for you from the study? I think uh, some of the biggest uh, things that, uh, uh, some of the, let's say, uh, key items that we have put in the index, they relate to uh, ideas related to how do you manage people? So how do you attract uh, uh, talented staff? How do you retain it? How do you create reward and recognition system? How do you create tolerance for failure, tolerance for intelligent risk taking? How do you create, let's say, uh, an environment where business people and IT people can talk to each other? Mm -hmm. How do you create the right combination of in-house skills with uh, outsource skills? Mm -hmm. So I think there is a combination that works better. How do you create discipline around uh, project management, time and budget focus? So all these things together uh, can, I think, uh, give a much better sense to an organization, first of all, how well it is doing, on an overall basis. At the same time, what are the areas where, let's say, it needs to improve? So, uh, and I think by comparing themselves with their peers, uh, they can get some insights into uh, what interventions they need to make to become more successful. Okay, great. So keep an eye out, everyone, for the PDSI release. It should be mid to late January when that's actually released to the public. Uh, Dr. Sunil Mitas's book is called Dancing Elephants and Leaping Jaguars, and it's available on Amazon.com and Kindle. 
as of today, I believe, when this podcast goes live. Thanks so much, Dr. Mutas, for joining us today here in studio. Thank you very much, Bill. It was my pleasure. Absolutely. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Sunil Mitas, you can follow him on Twitter at at ITISIMP. You can buy his book, Dancing Elephants and Leaping Jaguars, How to Excel, Innovate, and Transform Your Organization the Tata Way on Amazon.com. Thanks again to Dr. Sunil Mitas for joining us this week, and thank you for joining us this week. Don't forget to tune into next week's episode when we're excited to have Mitch Dickkoff on the podcast to talk about the power of personal storytelling, why the ability to tell your own story matters in your personal and professional life, how you can use humor to spice up your presentations and connect with audiences, and how to brainstorm your own personal story. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next week.